Welcome in. It is the Holy Grail BCJ podcast right here on BearcatJournal.com. I'm Chad Brendel. He's Dave Simone. We got a special guest on the way here shortly, but uh, we're, we're live, Dave. What do I do? Just just the same thing you've always done. Uh, like except- shake, my, shake my hands. <laughs> except now people can see. Uh, I don't know. This- I think we're. I think you and I are better off in the uh, audio medium <laughs> than, than the visual. That's probably fair. That's probably fair. But here we are. It is uh, the Holy Grail BCJ podcast. The start of a new era, my friend. Very excited. I can tell. The excitement is palpable. It's uh, yes, exuding out of me. <laughs> all right well um as we wait on our guest i guess uh let's let's let, let's let's get your initial it happened like it, it, it this is real dave the, the bearcats are in the playoffs they're playing alabama you get to go to dallas very happy about that, that that's all you got are you are you are you clamming up because we're live, Dave? No, I'm just trying to like, yeah. I mean, we have a month to go before this game, and not well, not quite a month, three weeks, but um, long time. A long time. You know, usually when you have this long to go before your bowl game, you're playing in Birmingham, right? <laughs> this time. Little bit different circumstances, a little bit different environment, but I mean, I I said on uh, I guess it was Monday on 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 Twitter, like I don't know how I'm, we're supposed to make it to New Year's Eve. Like, <laughs> what are we supposed to talk about? What are what are all the fans like? I don't think the excitement is going to wear off, but you're going to kind of get to the point where. The excitement from winning the conference and going undefeated and getting in the playoff wears off, and yet you're still like a week and a half away from the game. So you're you're very like antsy that the game <clears throat> is still you know ten days away or so. So I'm I'm dreading I'm dreading that part when we're like the week of Christmas and we still have you know, 10 days before the game. Not not looking forward to that feeling. Our guest has arrived. Hey. Hi, buddy. Hi, Mo. What's going on, guys? How are we doing? How are you? We're, oh, we're, test, we're testing out our new setup here. I like it. We're, we're live on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. Hi, everybody. <laughs> we are joined now, our special guest for the night, because <clears throat> this is something Dave and I talked about. We're going to have to be guest heavy for a couple weeks here because uh, I'm not talking about Alabama yet. Like, yeah, that, that can't happen. So tonight, special guest, oh boy. none other yeah. than Mo Egger from ESPN 1530 and 700 WLW. You know, it's, it's interesting. Hey, guys, it's interesting because Taryn Bland and I, my producer, we just had that conversation yesterday where he's like, all right, you know, what do you want to do? And I'm like, well... I know everybody wants to talk about the Alabama game. I don't really think there's a ton to say, and we have a lot of shows between now and then. So we're just sort of going to have to sort of pick our spots. 
because I, I, I don't necessarily think the themes are going to change between now and, and New Year's Eve, right? Like, there's only so many different ways to say, God, the Bearcats are going to have to play perfect and get kind of lucky to win this game. So <laughs> I, uh, I feel you. I feel what, what you guys are, are talking about. David? Well, I wanted to have Mo on, as most you know people that would be listening to this know, do, do you prefer the midday or drive time uh, cliche sports talk radio show host? Uh, I go afternoon host. But... Afternoon host. Yeah. Okay, so uh, afternoon okay. host, 1530. You're, the, you're, you're what, the, the number 14 afternoon drive, mid-market afternoon drive host in the country. Is that where I placed? I thought I moved up. I thought it was 11th. Okay, you might. That's right. It was 11th because don't don't move up too high. Then they'll start expecting things from you. Exactly. Yeah. I, you want to stay just sort of barely, you want to make the top. What is it? Top 20? Is it top 20? I don't even know. (laughs) But I think I was 11th. I think I was like just outside the top 10, which is, I believe, where where you want to be. But I was on the back of that was on the back of five unpaid minutes. In 2020, it was was. Barrett Sports Media. I guess their 2021 rankings are coming out. Segment of the year 2020, five unpaid minutes. That's right. Absolutely. Uh, Trust me, that got me through (laughs) through months and months and months without sports. Trust me. uh, Every day I would sit down and go, at 345, Chad's coming on. That'll be something. And then we'll just sort of go from there. So it it was a godsend. I wanted to have you on. Obviously, because you cover the team, you talk about the team on a daily basis, you see sports as a whole, but also just the fact of not making any bones about the, that you are a true UC fan. Mm-hmm. So I just kind of want to start off, and you know, these are kind of like maybe a, a silly question. I hate the talk about, you know, question that you hear sometimes, but just like three minutes to go in the game, you're working, obviously, but like, what are you thinking? watching the game what what thoughts are you having are you thinking of it in a total fan perspective that time and is it hard to kind of do what you need to do or are you still able to do both you're thinking as a fan but you're thinking through the filter of a fan how what am i going to say on the post game show because um dan horde who is the best college football professional football and college basketball play-by-play man there is is on that broadcast and he is going to rise to the moment so throughout the the afternoon and evening i was thinking like if this happens dan's call is going to be iconic and it it was and so then all right what can i add and and so i'm just sort of processing everything through the lens of through the filter of a fan how am I going to convey what I'm what I'm seeing and how am I going to communicate what I'm feeling? Because what I was feeling was this combination of euphoria and disbelief, because I don't care who you are, man. We, we you could have spent the last three months certain that this team was going to go undefeated and that they were going to find themselves in the college football playoffs some in some way, shape or form. Uh, you could have believed it the entire time. And yet, when when it was abundantly clear that that game was over, uh, when the Bearcats got the football back to to pretty much cinch it, I I, I still think it was surreal for you, um, and it because it certainly was for me. So, 
I'm watching this scene unfold, but, but I'm also, I, I thought about two different things. One is talked about all the time, which is, and, and we've all done it, um, rooted for that team when they felt like a Cincinnati sports afterthought. You know, the 90s, various parts of the 2000s, for, for some back in the 80s and even beyond. But I remember I, I started thinking about the last game at the old Nippert Stadium, which was 2013. They lost to Louisville. Teddy Bridgewater just was awesome that night. It was a, I think it was a Thursday night football game. And it was, it was the last keg of nails game. And it was also the, the, the last, the last, the last time they were going to play Louisville. And they were entering this era of the American athletic conference, which that was the first year of it, which it just, it represented this huge unknown. Um, And I just remember the feeling that night of, well, what's this going to be like moving forward? The good times are over. And yeah, they may be pretty good, but they're done being relevant because even that first year in 2013, there was, well, they're playing Louisville and uh, Tuberville's first year and it's all sort of new. And I I remember that night there just being the sense of just disappointment and frustration and uncertainty. And if I would have said that night that within the next decade, um, in the newly formed college football playoff, UC is going to be one of the four teams and they'll do it on the shoulders of an unbeaten record. Uh, they'll do it with an uber popular head coach who will be concluding his fifth season. I don't think anybody would have believed me that night. So I was thinking about that processing what I was seeing and then just trying to come up with a way to um, do the post game show in a way that I think reflected what I was feeling, which I would think for those who heard it, first of all, the stars of that show while I hosted are still Dan and Jim. And we sent Jim down onto the field and he was talking with players and and getting their uh, real time reactions. He was having to remind some of them you're on the radio live. So uh, please (laughs) use a filter. That was, that was uh, much appreciated by, 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 uh, by, by, by me certainly, but you're just sort of, you're talking to an audience of Bearcat fans and you want them to know how mu- how important this is to you, how much it means to you and how much you know it means to them. And so I was watching all of that, if that makes sense, sort of through through that filter. Um, but uh, along with all that, I, I couldn't wait to get off the air and, and go let loose and, and really enjoy it. Um, and God knows I did. <laughs> Going into the game itself, I listened to you and Tony on Friday and jokingly, I'm like, is this a bit like, are they legit worried about Houston? I couldn't. And I know (laughs) it was, it wasn't a bit, but like you and you and I, and like, I didn't see it the same way at all that you guys did. What was it going in that you felt was, would end up being closer than it ended up being living um, in Cincinnati? Well, yep. no, I just mean from like the actual. <laughs> oh, I'm telling you, that's living in Cincinnati. Yeah, I don't, I don't know, I don't subscribe to that theory. So, I, I think for me it was, you know, me- mechanically I was a little bit worried. Okay, if they can't get a pass rush on Clayton Tune, they're going to have some guys who get open in the very, very early moments of that game. You know, even when they got some pressure on him, he made some really nice plays and put himself in a position to throw. And they, you know, I even put on Twitter in the first quarter, it felt like they had 14 guys on offense. So 
I was a little bit worried about that, but I, I just, I thought there was a stretch during the season and I've talked to some of the players who all refute this, but I, I just, you could, you could see them feeling the weight, wearing the weight of expectation. And I think we made too big of a deal all season long about how many points they won by or margin of victory or style points, or how do they look or do they cover the spread? Um, and what the committee did with them all year long would, would reflect as much, but I, but I do think there were times during the season where you could just sense they're feeling the weight of this just a little bit. We would, we would reference it during the broadcast. So, um, I worried a little bit about that, but I, I think you did hear Tony and I both say, first of all, from a, a gambling standpoint, you know, I think t- 10 and a half points is high for any championship game. It also opens up the back door. And I mean, late in the game, I'm going, <laughs> I'm going to do this. They're going to lose by eight and it's going to be awesome. And they're going to storm the field. And then uh, those holding Cincinnati minus 10 and a half tickets are, are going to go to bed angry, but um, it, it less, less about Houston and, and more about just, it's really hard to go undefeated, man. And the sort of always expect the worst sports fan in you is like, all right, here it is. Probably all they have to do is win the game. This is obviously before we knew the uh, Oklahoma state outcome. Probably all they have to do is win the game and boy, they're in, we have nobody to blame. You know, you can't blame the committee. You can't blame the system. You can't blame Gary Barta. You can't blame, you know, whoever, um, are they going to screw it up? And I, you know, unfortunately so many of us were wired that way that you couldn't, you couldn't avoid that. Um, I will say this though. I'm guessing I felt differently at halftime than everybody else because there was this real nervous tension in the air at the half. Right. I, like I even said <clears throat> on the air, the Bearcats are 30 minutes away from the college football playoff. And I could, I could, I could almost imagine the audience as I said that going, dude, we're up by a point. Like, what are you talking about? That's the kind of thing you say when it's, you know, 28 zip. <laughs> but I felt like at the half, they had taken Houston's best punch because for, for, for their first three possessions, again, it's like uh, there's always somebody uncovered and they can't get to the quarterback and they scored one touchdown. They had 13 points. They were down by a point. And so I kind of felt like, you know what? They took, Houston's best shot offensively. They're getting the ball to start the second half. This home crowd has mattered. It's going to matter even more in the second half. If they can just get some points to start the half, this team's going to be fine. And they, they got the touchdown. Uh, the pass interference call obviously helped. Um, when Joel DeBlanco had the interception leading up to the 28-13 to 13 score, I, I felt like the game was over. Now, I'm sure I was different than everybody else who was like, you know, watch the clock or, God, how are they going to screw it up now? But at 14-13, I, I sort of felt like, yeah, you know what? Boy, Houston looked really good at times. The Bearcats have missed a field goal. Uh, they're up by a point. At some point, this defense is going to get a turnover. They're going to get consecutive stops. And this team's going to be okay, and they're at home. So I'm guessing if I would have canvassed most Bearcat fans, maybe not you guys, but if I would have canvassed most Bearcat fans at halftime, they would have said, like, dude, this isn't good. I don't like how this is going. I felt pretty confident because things didn't go great in the first half and they were still winning. I, I did too, just from the sense of like what you said was they ran their, whatever it is, 15, 20 scripted plays. And then, then you kind of saw what happened once UC was able to make some adjustments or see what Houston was trying to do with putting Nathaniel down in the backfield and motioning him out. I mean, that's not something that they'd really done all year. So you know, it took them, I think it took them a little bit of time to, to figure that element out. And 
you know, stopping the stopping their run game, you know, allowed them to kind of pin their ears back and generate mm-hmm. eight sacks. But yeah, I think it's just the the cumulative effect of like they're not they weren't going to lose that game at home. They weren't the yeah. crowd wasn't gonna. I mean, even like you said, up one at half. I felt like okay, like Houston moved the ball pretty successfully for the majority of the first half and still only came away with 13 points. So are they going to do that again in the second half and finish those drives with touchdowns? Cause UC was going to score mm-hmm. like in the first half the, that, you know, the vaunted Houston pass rush wasn't there. And I right. think a lot of that was generated off of the miserable offensive teams. They have, they played this season. So moving from that to Sunday, was <laughs> did you have any trepidation of like their like uh, as the as the morning went on and and people were at Notre Dame and Baylor and were you was any part of you like are they really good could they jump Baylor over us like or no. did you, were you pretty much did you feel confident that that UC was going to get in? Uh, I felt with almost 100% certainty that they were going to get in and, and whatever trepidation might've been there was just my own natural paranoia about pretty much everything. (laughs) Um, and it's, and it's funny because I was, I was on the air, uh, Sunday morning before the Bengals game from, from tin roof. And, and I, uh, a buddy of mine was there who is not a Bearcat fan. And he was kind of needling me. He's like, well, why would they have somebody at Baylor? And I said, they had somebody at Cincinnati last year. And when, when that show came on last year, we knew the Bearcats were not going to the college football playoff, but they had somebody there in large part because they had somebody covering the game the previous night. That's, that's a TV show. And, and the, the coverage of that really started at 9 a.m. Um, they had a lot of time to fill. For they had a lot of time. I mean, that, like, that they pretty much knew we're going to be picked. It's funny. I, I went from tin roof to the Holy grail for, for different commitments. And it's like the same people talking about the same thing. And, you know, each panelist has given their top four and I'm like, it's kind of like us with the Alabama game. Like what, what else is there to say? But it, they, they had to create some dimension of suspense, right? So let's put Coley Harvey in, in South bend and let's put, I think it was Jen Lada at Baylor and let's, let's give the illusion. I mean, even like Cole, Coley Harvey, one of his reports, because they turned the sound on at the grail. He's like, look, reality is set in here at Notre Dame. They, they know they're not getting in. I'm, I'm paraphrasing him here. Um, and I'm like, dude, you're probably not supposed to say that. You're supposed to pretend like, yeah, you know, there's, a, there's a chance. <laughs> no, I think if you, right. So <laughs> that part of it, I just thought was there. It's a TV show. They're creating drama and I get it. Um, it, it, it wasn't really that hard to figure out. And, and as much for as much distrust of the committee, exists for as as much distrust of the committee may exist among all of us. I just, I mean, look, just simply look at it. They were fourth, nobody behind them won. And Baylor wasn't going to leapfrog them after beating a, after Cincinnati beat a ranked team, even if that, that game came at home and, and we're up by one, by one point by 22 points. And frankly should have been up by 29 points because that touchdown shouldn't have been taken away. Um, There was, there was nothing that you could have said or done or any sort of metric you could have put in front of me. I even saw, some people that I know who are huge Notre Dame fans who are expressing hope that Notre Dame could get in. And even on Saturday night slash Sunday morning, they were resigned to the fact that, yeah, we're not getting in and we shouldn't. And so um, it doubt never crept in. I mean, I, I was, you know, like everybody else wondering, 
where are they going to play? And is there a chance Michigan's ranked number one? Um, and then what would that do if that's the case to Cincinnati? Is there any chance Georgia falls to four? That I thought was worth talking about, but there was no logical way. And I know the committee is often illogical. There was no logical way based on history because there's never been a two loss team based on where the rankings were based on what Cincinnati did. And based on the way the committee had treated the Bearcats since the first week of rankings, there was nothing that would make any reasonable person think that Cincinnati's name wasn't going to show up on that screen as, as one of the four teams in the college football playoff that didn't lessen the uh, euphoria for most of us when we saw it. I mean, that, that to me was the coolest part, right? Like that when you're, when you're, you know, it's 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 not the same animal, but in the NCAA tournament, most of us know if our team's going to make it. When they do, it's still pretty cool. And then we start immediately bitching about the matchup. But uh, when Cincinnati popped up, that the the lack of suspense uh, didn't didn't lessen that moment for me. In fact, the lack of suspense maybe made it sweeter because I didn't have to experience this sigh of relief. Because I think most of us thought, all right, Oklahoma State's going to win. And Saturday night's going to be uneasy and Sunday morning is going to be uneasy and it's going to be unbearable waiting to find out if they got in. Instead, the wait was more of a celebration. I, I have to stop the party here for a second and just I, I want to see Mo and Dave's reaction on this. Cincinnati just offered a new wide receiver uh, out of Louisiana who recently decommitted from LSU. <laughs> his, his name. Oh, is, did they offer to coldest? They offered the coldest Crawford. Yes. The coldest. We're going to have a guy named the coldest spelled D A O L D C O L D E S T. The coldest. He the coldest. Oh man. <laughs> oh man. That is, that is awesome. And he, he's good too. Like Tennessee's after him. Florida's after him. Yeah. Cincinnati just offered the coldest. We've I mean, had some all. We've had some great all name team. Can he, can he get like a, a Moreline House nil deal? <laughs> yeah, the coldest, Holy Grail. Yeah, it's the coldest. That's fantastic. Love it. That's fantastic. so good. All right, back to your regularly scheduled conversation. So I want to I want to ask Mo mm-hmm. and see where you're at on this compared to me getting Alabama. Because mm-hmm. my take is, if you're going to bust up the party, bust up the party, right? If you're uh-huh. going to break through the ceiling, break through the ceiling. Like, it, it, forget Michigan, forget Georgia. Let's see where we're at. Let's see what we got. Maybe it's ugly. Maybe they get blown out. Guess what? Every every losing team in the semifinals pretty much gets blown out. I don't care. Mm-hmm. I want to mm-hmm. see where do we stack up with Alabama. Their their program has been the gold standard for the last 12 years in this sport. Uh, They're the evil empire. They're the the modern college football dynasty. They have the greatest coach of all time. All those things. Let's see how they stack up. And if they get smoked, that certainly won't invalidate anything that Cincinnati has done. No more so than it invalidated Ryan Day's program when they were hammered by him last year in the national championship game. We've we've all sort of fought back against the notion that, well, you know, why would they even want to make it? And it's like, yeah, well. Okay, fine. They get blown out in the college football playoff. They're going to be in great company because Oklahoma has been there and Notre Dame has been there and Ohio State's been there and Michigan State's been there. Alabama itself, you know, frankly, has been there. Clemson's been there. So, yeah, you might get blown out. So what? 
I've I've often equated it to a lottery ticket, man. Give me the lottery ticket. Give me the lottery ticket, and if it cashes, awesome. And if it doesn't, okay. Right, that's well, how it's a, supposed it's to be. It's a lottery ticket that only has three other people with the ticket. Yeah, right. So, so, so yeah, let's do it. Let's let's stack up against Alabama and and see how it goes. And the, the, I think the really fun part for me, at least, is I asked this on the air today: Who's going to be rooting against Cincinnati? Right? Alabama, like, the SEC, oh, Kentucky, okay, so, Kentucky fans, SEC, SEC. But I mean, like. Is is the no not all the SEC? Some is of them. the is the parochialism of the SEC such that Alabama has been kicking your ass for twelve years, right? No, Running roughshod over you. Mean the incestualism. All right, oh, incestualism. Fine. Is <laughs> is that to the degree that Alabama has been kicking your ass for twelve years? So. Now let's watch them run roughshod over Cincinnati, or let's see them lose to the first ever group of five school that's going to do nothing to diminish the stature of the sec nor should like, I, I guess what I don't understand about the, the sec guy is does, does that guy feel attacked? Like, does that guy believe there's anybody out there who's like, yeah, the sec isn't the best. We all understand it's the best. There are some years where it's maybe not as good. There are some years where it's clearly superior, but yes, that is the best college football conference. It's going to get even better and deeper with Oklahoma. I don't really drag Texas into the conversation because, frankly, for most of my life, Texas hasn't been that relevant. But nonetheless, um, or I should say for most of my adult life. But, okay, so what are they fighting against? Is are, is there really a legion of people who are like, oh, you know what, the SEC is not that – everybody knows they're good. So I guess for me it's like Alabama has been kicking your ass for all these years. Is it going to be more enjoyable for you, more validating uh, to your of your program to watch them beat Cincinnati? Or wouldn't it be kind of fun to be able to point your finger at Alabama and say, Haha, you lost to Cincinnati? I don't know. I mean, to me, perhaps outside the SEC, this is uh, more applicable. But I just I, I feel like we saw it last year in the college football playoff. The, the championship game had uh, its lowest rating ever. And these were two mammoth programs. I think there was such fatigue among casual college football fans and college football fans who aren't from, you know, th these th traditional hotspots of college football, that there was a, a thirst for something new and granted to a degree we've gotten it certainly with Michigan, but we we're definitely getting it here with Cincinnati. And so if you were, if you were experiencing fatigue of the same old programs, Alabama embodies that more than anybody, right? Less so Clemson, less so Ohio State. But yeah, those programs are in that conversation too. But Alabama is, I think, what a lot of these really casual college football fans were growing tired of. Aren't those people going to be gung-ho about watching Cincinnati? Not not even like Wisconsin or Ohio State or Louisville or Duke. I mean, I'm just randomly mentioning schools here. W wouldn't you just throw all your support behind Cincinnati and going, okay, we want a new blood. Now we get a chance to watch some new blood beat Alabama in what would be the, the, the biggest upset in the history of the college football playoff. I don't know who that's not affiliated directly with Alabama would be rooting for that. I don't either. Um, <laughs> I just know that like you talked about fatigue, a George Alabama game will do terribly for that mm -hmm. exact for that exact reason like people outside of you know the sec country just aren't interested in that anymore the numbers i mean i heard a thing this today driving around the opening 
you know, playoffs were did around 25 million views and they've been down in the, I want to say like 15 range, 18 right. range the last couple of years. Like, and yes, our fan base as a whole is not like a Alabama, Ohio state. It's going to carry it from that standpoint, but like, is, is anybody West of the Rockies going to really turn in to watch another Georgia, Alabama game or another, you know, two teams that they've seen Georgia hasn't. I mean, they're actually new blood when you really think about right, it, but, right. um, but just going back to our original thing, like I absolutely want to play Alabama and it doesn't have anything to do with the result. Like I just want to play Alabama. Yeah. Like they're, they're the gold standard. And even if this isn't the prototypical Alabama year, especially compared to last year, like it doesn't matter. Like, they stack five stars on top of four stars, like mm-hmm. you know. So it's still a, a will be a monumental challenge, but I just want to see it. Like, and it might go terribly, but that doesn't diminish the whole season, the season as a whole, and it doesn't change my view of of who I want to play just because we might have a better chance to beat Michigan or Georgia. It, it's not apples to apples, but in 2015 in the NCAA tournament, I wanted to play Kentucky. I wanted to play Kentucky and Louisville, right? I mean, and so that was a, a an undefeated team. They were never going to lose to to a sixteen team. So, but but more when we were talking about, okay, where could the Bearcats be seated? God, they could be in the eight nine game. Oh, okay, well then they're going to put them against Kentucky, dude. Let's do it, right? And I said the same thing at the time. It's a lottery ticket. If you beat Kentucky in the second round and hand them their first loss of the season, uh, we'll build Larry Davis a statue, and it will alter the trajectory of the program in all likelihood. And if they lose, okay, that, that team's probably going to go to the final four and has a really good chance to win the national championship. They didn't win the title and they lost in the semifinal. That to me doesn't necessarily diminish how good that team was or how historically relevant that team was, but give me that chance over any other number one seed in the tournament. I feel the exact same way about this. I would have been elated to get a chance to play Michigan. That would have been, that would have been fine. Um, but yeah, they're the gold standard. Get, get a shot to see how you, you perform against the gold standard. It's Alabama football. UC is probably never going to get a chance to play Alabama in a venue that's not Bryant-Denny Stadium. So I was at it. I was actually at the last time they played Alabama in 1990 in Legion Field, and it, it did not go well. Right. But, uh, <laughs> right. So but let's yeah, do that, it. That's kind of, I mean, like, and that's kind of my mentality a lot of times with, like, scheduling and things. It's, you always hear, like, the... Oh, well, you don't want to schedule too hard because you, you like, or, you know, in a bowl game, you might lose. I'm like, yeah, but you also might win. Yeah. And the, and the benefits of winning far outweigh, especially in this case, I mean, the benefits of winning this game far outweigh the negatives of losing in, in any mm-hmm. fashion, whether it's 50 to nothing or 28, 27. Like if you win the game, you beat Alabama and you're going to the national championship. There is no thing on the other end of losing that I'd be like, worried about it I'd be like i just want, like just use the winning element of it yeah yeah I, I think sometimes folks are a little bit too concerned about what people they don't know in social media are going to say and i couldn't care less about that right so i i could not i, I could not agree more this is it's 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 the kind of opportunity uh to to use a word that was applied to the uc notre dame game it's it's the kind of opportunity if if we found out Cincinnati is going to get a chance to go to Tuscaloosa and play a regular season game, who would say no to that? Who wouldn't want that? And and yeah, usually you're going to lose 
but fine, let's do it. See, see how it goes. You never know as cliche and as sort of hokey as that sounds. So give me this shot on a huge stage with immense stakes on a neutral field. Let's do it. Um, and if it doesn't turn out good, it doesn't turn out good is I don't know that there's anybody who has been emotionally invested in this team this year that would walk away from a decisive Alabama win and go, well, you know what? The last, the last four months were for naught. And boy, I, I tell you what, it basically it means nothing. Right. Yeah. Boy, you know what? That was a lot of fun that, that Saturday night they beat Houston, but psh, you know what? Not really. It's ruined the memory for me. Like, I, no, I, 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 I view it like, as a tremendous opportunity. I'm not, we're not players. We're not on the staff. So I feel like we can have this mentality. Like I'm not going to say like, I'm just there to have fun, but I'm kind of just there to have fun. Like, right. I'm, I'm not going into this game. Like I would a regular season game or the Notre Dame game, or even the conference championship game. And, and I don't expect the players and coach, they're going to go in expecting and doing everything they can to win. And I'm not trying sure. to diminish that, but like, I still like I get it and all of our fans get it and people that listen to this get it and I know you get it but like I still go back to August when I said that they would go 13 and 0 and Chad would say do you think they'll make the playoff and I'd say tell me like tell me on December 5th and I'll give you my reaction because so many things had to happen throughout the entire year I didn't watch a single second of the selection shows every Tuesday because I was like it doesn't matter the things that we need to happen, we're not to the finish line yet. So, like, I don't want to have, like, the we're just happy to be here. But, like, when you understand literally all the things that had to happen to even get into this position, from a fan's perspective, I don't know how I'm supposed to, like, not feel that way. Right. Yeah. You know, you mentioned some of the other games on the schedule. The, the Notre Dame game for me was the one where it's like, all right. You got to win this one. Um, th th this is this is the one that if if you want to be if you want to kind of enter the conversation if you want to be taken seriously you're favored right I mean to me where the whole thing turned was when the the Vegas line came out and you're like yep Vegas is saying Cincinnati should win that game and my favorite thing all week long was when people would say to me why are they favored and I would go because they're better because they're the better team <laughs> really and I'm like yeah they're the better team but that put and again, I'm not a player. I'm not a coach. And I thought Luke handled the whole week extraordinarily well. And the team looked very well prepared and played great and won the game. But that was the one that I was nervous for because you're not getting that shot again. And even if you get a shot in a game like that, are you getting a shot in a game like that in which, boy, if we win this, we've cleared this major hurdle. And now we could start talking about making the college football playoff. And I think so many of us, I, I could speak for myself here, were reluctant to embrace college football playoff discussion because you got to beat Notre Dame first and to a lesser degree, Indiana, I think it was clear as we got closer to the season, the Indiana game was going to be winnable. And obviously yeah. the, the way the season turned out, but, but it was the Notre Dame game, right? All right. Well, sure. It's going to, it's going to be two top 10 teams. And, and even like add to it, all the, the Brian Kelly can, I mean, it just was like, all right, at some point, at some point you get an opportunity like this, you got to take advantage. And if you don't, you know what? It's going to be thrown back in your face. That to me was the holy crap. They got to win this football game. And then the way it played out, it's 17, nothing. Now you can't blow it when they won that one huge sigh of relief, because then as hard as it is not to invalidate what they did, 
over the final nine games, but it was feasible. Like you could go week to week and go, okay, they're they're going to be favored in every game. Um, they could still play better than they have, and they'll they'll take some punches, they'll take some challenges. The, the they'll they'll have a game that comes down to maybe uh, the final possession or two, but they're they're well equipped to handle it. They're going to be fine. Um, and now that they did it, it's you know it's it's an overused term. House money. Let's let's do it. Let's see the the game for me that they had to win to really change the conversation about this program, especially because they lost the Georgia game was the Notre Dame game. And they did. And they did it definitively. I think the cool thing about it was it wasn't fluky. It was no, you know, they should have won by more than they did. They led from the outset, outplayed them, dominated them, won it kind of going away, left no doubt whatsoever that to me was the game. This one on on December the thirty first, I will hope like hell they can pull off the upset. Uh, I'm sure if the game is close, I'll twist myself in, into knots. But if it's not, and they take a, a decisive L, then they take a decisive L and awesome season. Let's look ahead to 2022. Do you take anything from the notion of? And you kind of mentioned it earlier, and and I agree. Like. They did a great job all year kind of deflecting the whole style points and needing to win and, and, and how you look and the conference isn't very good and they're only beating Tulane by this and Navy by that. And now that they're in, is there anything to, to the idea of like flipping that on its head where they, whether it was on their own or they felt it from the outside, the, the pressure to just keep winning and keep doing it convincingly and now that you're in, is all of that gone and you play a different way? Or is that just kind of like a, do you think that's just kind of like a sports talk, Twitter, television type thing? I don't know that it is because when this team was at its best, to use their own phrase, it felt like they just let it fly, right? Like it, it felt they certainly to me- played the best all year against whoever they felt were the better teams. Right. Like so. Who are they? Who did they look their best against? SMU, much of the Houston game, UCF, Notre Dame. I think we would argue those were their best four opponents, right? Yeah, I, so, I would say so. So, so those were the, 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 those. I know they played great against Temple, but Temple stinks. Temple's terrible. But the the four games that had long stretches where I was like, dude, came in those four games, not in the entirety of all four of those games, certainly there were moments of concern against Houston. Um, but though, and you know, even to a degree ECU and, and ECU is okay. And they, you know, as much as people worried about the first quarter, it was 21, three and you knew ECU wasn't going to score against that game was over. So um, they played their best in games like that. And it felt like they just, they let it all hang out. Let's go, let's open things up. Um, and, and so I, I would like to think there's a, belief that a they from a a game planning perspective they kind of have to play that way you know also a little bit more mechanically you're not going to be at alabama kicking field goals so let's let's let it hang out on third down that's the thing is the is you know everybody gives like you know old miss went in there and got whooped but lane did the things that he knew he had to do to win and they just all went wrong right yeah. But he never stopped, and that's the mentality you have to have. Like, yeah, it might go wrong, and we might get killed, but these are the things we have to do to give ourselves a chance and hope that they go right. Because, like you said, you're not beating them kicking field goals. You're not beating them, you know, playing any sort of conservative style, and that might backfire on you. 
but you have that's the chance you have to take if you actually think you if go in there and get the win. Yeah, let it all hang out. And and when, when this team was 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 at its best, it's when they just decided to sort of air it out a little bit offensively. When they were at their tightest was for a stretch against Tulane, for a stretch against Navy, for a stretch against Tulsa, uh, for, for a stretch against USF. Although I, I think that was more about them just turning the football over than than anything else and giving up a fluky uh, 98-yard touchdown drive and a fluky 75-yard touchdown on a slant. But not, nonetheless, when they were at their – there's no reason to be tight in this game. And, and if you are, you know, Alabama is going to destroy you. They're there. They've arrived. There's – the, the, the committee is not going to like kick them out. I mean, there's, there's no, they could get bumped with a good loss though. Yeah, sure. They, right. They so they move up. There's, there's no God. What if we lose dot, dot, dot hanging over this game? Uh, I know it's more complex than that from the standpoint of how do you beat Alabama? I get that. But yeah, I think there is something to that. When, when this team was at its best was when they played their best opponents is Alabama better than all those opponents. There's no human alive that would say uh, that they're not. But yeah, I, th- I think there's a validity to the idea that when this team really looked the part and when they really looked the part, they looked like they were playing without a care in the world and they were fast and free and whatever that came against their better opponents. And maybe they can channel that into the, the best opponent they've played so far this year on uh, New Year's Eve. With comments now, we should we should incorporate the comments. And I think this is relevant to what we're talking about. Luke Herzog points out, Cincinnati has eight players in Mel Kuyper's positional top 10 rankings. Bama has nine, but John Mechie's out. So they also have eight players in the game, the same as Cincinnati. Cincinnati has the talent to win I this guess game. My, my one question on that is, because juniors haven't declared, is that only seniors? I think it's people that have declared. So, like, Jameson would. Jameson Williams, I mean, he wouldn't be listed. Bryce Young wouldn't be listed then. Um, I think Sauce is listed, so maybe they are. Sauce can go, but Bryce Young can't, and neither can Jameson Williams. True, yeah. <laughs> so, but, I mean, I, I get it, but it's, like, there's still a little bit of variance there. Being a buzzkill, Dave. Hey, I'm, I'm, <laughs> you know me, I'm, I, wanna, I don't want to be like the UCF guys. That's my goal in life. Don't be like the UCF guys. Be fair to all sides. <laughs> I, I mean, I, you know, I, I'm I'm really interested in the first four possessions of this game. Um, you know, I, I'll go back. Nobody wants to do it. Different circumstances, different stakes. The the Sugar Bowl in 2009. Uh, two Florida possessions into that game, ball game over. And really four possessions in because after Florida goes up nine zip, UC goes I think three and out. Ball game over. It, it, I mean, it, it didn't matter. And so you, and then go back to last year, Peach Bowl. Um, you kind of felt like after a quarter and a half, like, all right, Cincinnati can play with these guys. This, this team's going to be okay. They took the lead right before half. And, uh, you know, the James Hudson injury uh, ejection was in, in that sort of sequence late in the first half. But, but you, you kind of walked away from the first, not even the first half, but just from the first couple of possessions going, all right. They haven't blown them out yet. They look physically like they can kind of go toe-to-toe with these guys. This isn't going to be easy, but yeah, all right. here. So you can do it one of two ways against Alabama. You can put yourself behind the eight ball early, and that team gets going, and whatever talent disparity there is it becomes abundantly clear, and now you're chasing a deficit. Or you can kind of stand toe-to-toe early, and all right. 
three, four possessions in. They haven't beaten us yet. Here we go. Let's do it. And, you know, and maybe, maybe, maybe then it's a ball game. Who knows? Um, I'm really interested though, in how that plays out. Um, because I've, you know, you've, it's like Ohio state versus Michigan state, right? None of us really believed Michigan state was going to beat Ohio state despite the numbers well, we next to their names. We didn't think it was going to be a hundred to nothing. Right. But I mean, five <laughs> possessions in, dude, what are we doing here? <laughs> I mean, I, I, mean, I, I remember yeah, you're like, these teams yeah, aren't even I, in the same hemisphere. Right. What are we doing here? A game over doesn't matter what Michigan state does. They've been hit by a freight train. There's no chance they're coming back, especially in, in Columbus. Avoid that, and then then let's match up man versus man, and let's go. And if that's the case, yeah, I, I've said I've said to a, a few different people around the country, like this is a really neat success story. There's two things you have to realize about it. Number one, it's not come from nowhere. This team was ranked in the top ten before the season. They did win every game last year. They were good in 2019. They were good in 2018. So this is it's been a slow build, but this isn't just sort of some overnight success story. Also, this isn't some mangy group of upstarts. There are certainly guys who have outperformed their recruiting ranking or recruiting hype, and they've brought in some, some guys from other programs, but this is a team with dudes. This is a team with guys whose name are going to be called on uh, during the draft. This is a team with guys that uh, power five programs would want. And in some cases, power five programs had, and in some cases, Power Five programs recruited. This is this is not some ragtag group of lovable guys who, oh boy, they've banded together and won 13 games, and now they're going to take their shot. This is not that. This is a team of guys who are high-end college football players, maybe not as many top to bottom as Alabama. And I'm sure if we started to go Alabama's twos versus Cincinnati's twos and Alabama's threes versus Cincinnati's threes, well, then the matchup gets more and more favorable. But this is this is a it's like the Notre Dame conversation, right? Why are they favored? Because they have a better team. Because they got a, a team of just guys. They don't have a lot of holes up and down the roster. Like they got guys who are going to play on Sunday, and so that that to me applies here. Does does Alabama have better players, better talent, better team? Yes, I would say that unequivocally. But the, 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 I think there's this notion around the country that Cincinnati is lining up these these ragtag group of kids. And no, they're, they're lining up with a bunch of guys who are going to have their names called in this year's draft and in subsequent drafts. Mo, did you ever think this program would get to a point where they would have eight guys <laughs> on no. one team, like eight guys in one draft that are going to be like, we're going to be busy watching the draft this year. <laughs> it's not going to be a spectator sport. Like we're going to have work to do. Right. Yeah. No, I mean, you know, we're, we're, I think most of us, and certainly you're going to have guys like this, but we're, we're used to only watching the draft on Saturday because uh, maybe Mike Warren's name is going to be called that sort of thing. And, you know, look, Josiah DeGuara, we thought was going to go early uh, in 2020 and he did, but now I'm going to watch the draft on Thursday night and where's sauce going to go. I never, I don't want to say I never thought I'd see that, but uh, that's, going to be special that's gonna be cool des is you know possibly going to go on thursday night um you know i i we're gonna be really busy friday potentially yeah really so right so it's we're going to be watching the draft from a bearcat perspective through a different filter than usual which is all right yeah somebody gonna find their way to the team on saturday and then then we spend a lot of time with like college free agency and and we're still gonna do that but 
by the time we do that, there's going to be a whole bunch of Bearcat players who have had their name called either by Roger Goodell or somebody else. Are you at all a little bummed that you'll be covering the game from a media perspective and not a true fan perspective? Uh, I've been doing this so long. Um, my, my media perspective is different than the normal media perspective because I'm on the UC broadcast team, which has always made life somewhat tricky for me because you have to be objective when you talk about them and when you write about them and, and, and some at UC have understood that and others have not, but I think I've done a pretty good job of that. Um, but being with, with Dan and Jim uh, for all these years and when we have, we've had Tony and Tommy G and, and Scott Springer, whoever we've had, we're, we're the Bearcat broadcast crew. We're supposed to root for the Bearcats. We're, we're not supposed to be, uh, you know, completely biased homers and God knows Dan and Jim certainly aren't. And I don't really think I am either. So that is, it's different than if I was at a different outlet and I wasn't the kind of person who wore my emotions on my sleeve. Uh, I think anybody who's paid attention to me, you know who I root for. I don't make any bones about it. Uh, I would like to think that folks who have paid attention to anything I've done on air, or other outlets would tell you when, when that program's warranted criticism, I've given it to them. I would think that Tommy Tuberville and Butch Jones and Mick Cronin would agree with that. <laughs> I think John Cunningham himself might tell you that that's, that's fair, but I've, I've, I've always tried to do it fairly. I've always tried to do it in an entertaining manner, but I've, I've always done it from the standpoint of, I want this program to win. I want them to succeed. Um, so I, I feel like I'm going to be there as a fan. Uh, had you been in our radio booth Saturday night, had you been in our radio booth uh, in South Bend, you would have seen three people who were as happy as anybody in the stands and anybody rushing onto the field. So yeah, is there, is there a part of me that wishes I could scream and yell and drink beer and uh, let loose expletives while the game is unfolding? Sure. But I'll be honest with you. I, I wouldn't trade my perspective for, uh, for, for anything. That, that's, what was, throw pens. that's what I was going to say was <laughs> I, I wish this one game you could sit behind me like the old <laughs> like the old fifth third days. That's right. And, and and we could have some Mo after dark stories about about the basketball games back then. Yeah. Um it's 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 why I do try to go to one road basketball game because I uh, it's funny when they played a Pauley Pavilion, I went and I went as a fan. And it was like, oh yeah, this is this is I forgot. This is great. This is this is awesome. Do this. <laughs> I yeah, this is this is the best. So yeah, it took me back to those days. But no, I you know I've I've been doing it long enough that I've I've figured out a way to control it. Um, it's sometimes easier than other. You know, honestly, I'll tell you, Twitter kind of helps <laughs> because I I'll tweet from the booth during the game, and when things are going great. Uh, I think you could tell and when things aren't going so well, uh, you know, it's, it's, it can be a little bit of an outlet, but no, I mean, um, I just, I think it's going to be awesome that there are likely to be so many Bearcat fans who are there and it's going to be, and I think for most people, a multi-day experience. And I've been to a lot of UC bowl games, some of which have been well attended, some of which have been very sparsely attended where, you know, it's like in Birmingham two years ago uh, where nobody wanted to be, uh, 
I remember the night before the game, there was a, a basketball game being played and, and I'm thinking like, oh, I'll post up at this spot and there'll be a bunch of Bearcat fans there. And it's like, yep, nope, uh, nobody came to Birmingham. So this will be different and that will be that will be awesome. I guess. Mo, oh. I, I, you guys need a sideline reporter, you know. Uh... <laughs> so. <laughs> yeah. Chad, Chad will. I will. I yeah. will. No, Dave. Dave. Dave will never. I'm, de- I'm debating whether I can try to sneak my confetti cannons into Jerry World. But uh, have you heard the confetti cannon thing, Mo? Uh, I have. Thoughts on Dave Fire? Can you see them from the booth when Dave fires no, off the confetti cannon? I don't think so. We cannot. No, they stay underneath. But uh, yeah. obviously, season is not over. No, but just right now, what is something or some things that are you like that that you will think back on or that you think back on right now about like I don't know if they're plays, games, people, just like what is your memory of this season as it's still going, but has reached this point of thirteen and zero and and making the playoff? Like, like a play? No, just like something that sticks out to you if you. You know, is there anything that – is it the Notre Dame experience? Is it you guys um, in the booth after the you – know, when the Houston game looked official, you know, th- watching everybody run out on the field, just anything like that? So I'll, I'll give you two that are, are pretty – you know, beyond just the scene on Saturday night, um, hearing Let's Go Bearcats ring throughout Notre Dame Stadium – uh, was as my first ever Notre Dame experience. And, it, it, you know, it, everything about it was awesome. Uh, and, and, and including the people and the fans, because I stayed in South Bend and, and, and hung out with friends after the game. It was awesome. But hearing Let's Go Bearcats ring throughout the stadium during the game uh, is, is something that I, I, I won't forget. Um, th- this is going to sound somewhat hokey i i go down on tuesdays and uh i request a player or two for the pregame show and this season in particular getting a chance to talk with these players about the season about the careers they've had about their part in this program's turnaround has been very rewarding for me and you know you, I've had very few negative experiences with, with the guys that I've talked to, but this group of, of guys, I've said this, I think I've said this publicly, but I've, I've told people privately, like they got guys who are really worth rooting for, um, that are really polite, really nice, really, you know, sit down with them and and here's how we're going to do it. And they, they take it seriously. They ask if I, if, Hey, was I okay? Um, that for me personally has been, and I know that's, that's, that's an opportunity that's unique to just a handful of us. I, I understand that, but um, I, I've, I've been around athletes and, and people who I rooted Stop. for. And I, I thought, <laughs> I don't really love rooting for that person. Th- these guys too. I can't tell you how many times I've, I've said like to uh, the sports information director, Zach Stipe, like, wow, he was great. Uh, boy, that boy, he was good. Or how many times I've said, God, I usually only use four minutes. I'm going to use all six because the player was that good. Um, and you know, how many times I've said to Dan and Jim, like, Hey, this week we have this guy 
and uh, you're really going to like it. Um, that has been really, really cool for me personally. It's, it's made this season even better because it's, it's more fun to root for a team when you feel like the people you're rooting for are worth emotionally investing in. And these guys have done that. Um, and so that, that for me is something, um, I'm going to remember that, that, that to me is something that and the dude from Tuscaloosa, uh, tweeting me, telling me he would send me cigars if the Bearcats made the playoff back in October and me holding Ooh. on to it to retweet right after the game. Did and you, just you get I, to pick the cigars or is he getting them it's, at like it's, a it's from that station. Tuscaloosa cigar mansion, right? Oh, well, that's so nice. this guy started following me and he's nice. I've gone back and forth with him cause he's a big Reds fan, but he, he, he uh, tweeted me on October the 30th. And he's like, if UC makes the playoff, I'll send you cigars, pal. And I'm like, cool, I'm going to save that. Uh, and so about 15 minutes after the game on Saturday, here's I retweeted address, it. Pal. I wrote the, I'm like, Hey, here's the address. Thanks. And he's like, boy, you hung on to that one. So I'm waiting, I'm waiting for my cigars. That might be the absolute, uh, best. That might be the best moment that, that actually when, when the, if those cigars arrive, that might actually be the pinnacle. Speaking of wagers, you know, you guys have, Oh, it's the Let's Go Bearcats. We have, we have interactive audio. I don't want to speak over it. <laughs> <laughs> it we're, we're getting used to all of our new bells and whistles still. But uh, speaking of wagers, we know you like to place one or two. Mm -hmm. if, I, in, if in August I'd have told you Oklahoma, USC, Notre Dame, LSU, and Florida were going to open – what kind of odds could I have gotten on Luke Fickle will not take any of those jobs? It's a great question, isn't it? It's a great question. And, and what does that say? I mean, you, I've been around him, very, very casual conversations, nothing. You've been around him. You know, obviously our fans and members know Chad's inner workings with him, but just from your standpoint, what does that say? And just what is, you know, what is, what are some of the things that, that says to you in, in getting to know him and, and how he operates. Well, my dealings with him have always been pleasant. Um, you know, I, I noticed a difference in him this year. You know, last year was weird because you can never really be around him and the same for the entire team. Um, but I went to higher ground this year cause I, I wanted, I always get them on before the season starts. And, uh, Ryan Coslin was, was still there and he's like, why don't you come to higher ground and do it? And okay, great. And first of all, he, he couldn't, Luke could not have been more at ease. And I even said like, this kind of reminds me of Mick early in the 2017, 2018 year where it's like, yep, that guy realizes he has a really good team. And so he just, at that stage, it's preseason, but he, he just there was a, a different sort of just um casual vibe to him that I, I never he was, really detected. He was really comfortable in his own skin. He was really comfortable just answering questions about his team. I just you know, I'm like this dude knows he's got a good team. And and you know, which by the way, I thought of that often during the season because I'm like, all right, this team's starting to wear the weight of expectation. And I thought Luke publicly and from my from what I my understanding privately really kind of handled that. I mean, you know, it was after the Tulsa game where he's like, "Yeah, I didn't tell these guys to celebrate, man." Like, yeah, he could just tell like his team's kind of dealing with a heavy burden here. He doesn't need them. It doesn't need him 
screaming at him that they almost let Tulsa come back and win. I, I thought the way he handled that was great, but you know, you, you do this long enough, you either get to know people or you get to know about people. And when somebody is in their position for as long as Luke has been in five years is a really long time in college football. Y you hear who's a bad guy. Y you hear who's a good guy. I mean, you just, you do, you, you hear like, boy, you know what this, this guy treats people like this, or man, this guy is an absolute prince or here's some stuff this guy's doing. That's not in public view. Y you just, you find out those things. In five years, I have not heard anybody say that Luke Fickle is an ass or, boy, he's full of himself or he treats people poorly or, you know what, he's in it for himself. I'm sure he has his moments where he's not at his best. That's that's I can't say that about that many people that I've talked about or been around. And, and I'm not going to you know, I, I don't know Luke as well as uh, most, but you get to sort of you get to sort of find out pretty quickly who the good and bad guys are. Um, my experience with Luke, but more importantly with people who have spent a lot of time around Luke is we're talking about a really good dude here. And I don't think taking a job makes you a bad person. I don't, I don't think leaving um, in, in a way that's maybe less than ideal makes you a, a bad guy. But I do think that the way, the way potential job openings have been handled by Luke is reflective of the kind of person um, that I think we've all been led to believe that Luke is. So that's, that's, that's worth talking about. I mean, that's, that's really worth, that's really worth talking about. Um, and it, and it, and again, it, it makes it easier to, to root for these guys. I mean, I, you know, like I, you know, I, I I don't I don't want to turn this into bashing other people, but like I, I wasn't a huge Butch Jones guy. I don't think Butch Jones had a terrible job here. Uh, and I don't I think, think Butch some, Jones was a huge Butch Jones guy, right? But like uh, Butch is kind of a punchline, and it's like you know, two of those three years they're pretty good. But I just I, I just there's just something about him that that I, I I just I got a bad vibe, and I just you know you can always tell when you publicly criticize somebody. Not personally, but when you publicly criticize somebody, how many people rush to their defense, right? So with Butch, nobody ever rushed to his defense. And with Tommy Tuberville, I wouldn't get anybody that really rushed to his defense. That told me a lot. There have been other coaches that I've criticized publicly, and and I, I pay attention to who rushes to their defense. Um there has been, there have been very few reasons to criticize Luke, but I get the sense that if, and, and probably when it happens at some point, if, if he's here for a while, that'll have a, a lot of folks that, that rush to, to his defense. And, and that, that speaks volumes. I, uh, I'm curious your take on this. Uh -huh. Do you think he wanted to be involved with the Notre Dame job personally? I think he would have liked to have at least explored that opportunity if possible. And if so, what do you think it says about him that when they reached out, it was essentially what we, what we thought he would do, which is I'm busy right now. Yeah. I mean, wouldn't it be a huge surprise if we found out he had no interest in being, yes. being the subject of their interest? Like right. wouldn't, I mean, that would be more surprising than anything if he just right. flatly said, like, not interested. So, 
I had a lot of folks when I said this last Wednesday night that disagreed with me. And I said, you know, the concern for me, and I think for most Bearcat fans, wasn't Luke is going to leave. It's is the team's ability to to play at their best against Houston going to be compromised by the rumors and whatever contact there may be between Notre Dame and Luke Fickle. How much of that is going to have an impact on a game that this team has to win? And does the scenario exist where this team plays in the college football playoff and they're not given uh, the best chance to represent themselves because either Luke is coaching the team and his attention is divided, or it's an interim coach with a coaching staff filled with guys who either have one foot in South Bend, have one foot in their next jobs, don't know what their next gig is going to be, and the result is what we saw in New Orleans 12 years ago. If it's Luke Lee's for Notre Dame after Cincinnati's played its final snap this year, I think most of us would go, yeah, okay, the question is how much could it screw up Saturday and how much of this could impact this team being at its best in the national semifinals if they get there. So I had a lot of people that said, well, no, it's actually about him leaving. Um, I think the fact that, and I, I said this publicly, I can't tell you if he's going to go to Notre Dame or not. I can't tell you how much, to what degree Notre Dame is interested. I can't tell you to what degree Luke would be interested. I feel confident in saying this, that if he goes to South Bend, he will finish what he started in 2021. Um, I believe that. And that to me was a reflection of what I've come to understand uh, about Luke Fickle, that he 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 may want to talk with Notre Dame. You're going to do it when I'm I'm not as busy, and or Oklahoma as well. And so that might mean I talk to you after the Houston game. And if you want to wait, fine. If not, whatever. By the way, Luke Fickle has a pretty good job right now, and he probably can ask for and get whatever he wants. So, um, but I I never I, I never really thought Luke was going to screw up the exit. I never really felt like. Luke Fickle's going to leave a team 13 and 0 and on on December the 31st they're playing with an interim head coach and a bunch of coaches who don't know what they're going to be doing the next day. I, I just I never I never believed that that was going to be the case. Um and I you know I, Chad I I said this publicly as well and this is not really related to your question but I I also I you know I I I said uh, on my show a week or a week and a half or so ago I go you know everybody's panicked and everybody's worried but you know, pay attention to the people who are really close to this. Uh, and this has more to do, I guess, with USC than Notre Dame. But like, uh, pay attention to the the Chad Brendels and the, the Justin Williams and and people like that who are, you know, writing and and tweeting and 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 putting their name on things, and they just don't seem to believe there's a lot of a lot of fire here when it comes to some of these openings. Now, the Notre Dame thing was admittedly a little bit different, but um, yeah, again, I. I I, I I would have been really surprised had he screwed up the exit if indeed he did leave. Um, and as it turned out, he didn't have an exit to screw up. Did not. So well said. I don't, Chad, do you have anything? I have some, I mean, I guess I do have, we do have some more Bearcat stuff. Um, but I, I kind of have, that's kind of all I have from a football standpoint. And I have some other, I guess, not necessarily 
specifically to the football questions that I would like to talk to Mo about since Chad and I kind of veer off topic from, from now and then. But uh, I'll take this step. Your initial reaction to the Wes Miller guys in Norwood Xavier <laughs> comments. Awesome. Let's do it. Look, the, the, this, this rivalry is fun because it brings out pettiness in everybody. And uh, among the more petty things that people could do is mispronounce Xavier and talk about it being in Norwood and not Cincinnati. Um, if it bothers you, if you're a Xavier fan, you're taking this too seriously. And if you take what Wes Miller did and decide to like make it your life's goal to mispronounce Xavier and uh, nonstop mention that the school is in Norwood, then you're taking it too seriously as well. To me, it did two things. Number one, it was indicative of a coach who's willing to embrace the rivalry. I had uh, not that many complaints about previous regimes, but if there was one that I had, it was, look, this this game matters. This game matters to me. It matters to a lot of fans. It, it matters to, to people who care deeply about your program. Can you at least pretend like it's not a pain in the ass to you? We, we know coaches – uh, the, the, it's, it's different and it pulls them in directions. They don't want to go, but can, can you at least pretend like this is not, Oh my God, I'm going to the dentist. Uh, so I, I think it was, um, it, it was a, it was nice as a UC fan. I think it was nice as a fan of the rivalry to see a coach who's willing to sort of pay slight homage to the fact that well, this yeah, game is different coach the last two years was a Xavier fan. So <laughs> At least but I we also, have someone on our bench now that doesn't like the other team. Right. So the other thing I think it did is it put the onus on Wes Miller going into his first game at the Cintas Center, a game in which his team is going to be pretty significant underdogs, a game in which his, uh, many of his players have never played in, uh, where the, the talent disparity I think right now is, is pretty stark. And uh, now the focus is on the coach. Great. I mean, to me, that's that's what a, that's what a coach to a degree is supposed to do. So, if those guys are yelling and screaming at Wes Miller and not, uh, you know, Mason Madsen or David Julius or uh, Jeremiah Davenport or, or whoever, if the focus is on the coach, great. I, and I, I I think I think to a, I don't know if that's what he did on purpose, but to me, that's he's put the focus on him and maybe a little bit less on a on a group of guys that has a really, really uphill battle and is going to go into a situation which is obviously <coughs> has been difficult for very good UC teams, much less ones that are still, you know, kind of uh, trying to find their way. So, yeah, I was I was here for it. I'm here for anything which stokes the rivalry in a way that's not hostile. That it's wasn't for, hostile. It's good for your business. It's good for my business. And, and at the end of the day, it was benign. I mean, it was yeah, – it, it's not worth getting mad about. It's it, – nobody – uh, is is threatening to go out there and punch somebody. I like I like anything that stokes the rivalry in a sort of fun and friendly way, and that's what it did. So sign me up for it. But that's him, right? Like this is a guy that played in the teeth of Carolina Duke, and with his personality, like I think he likes to mix it up a little bit, mm -hmm. and I think that's awesome for us. Mm -hmm. It's fantastic for us. You have a uh, very good seat for, I guess I'll say, all basketball games. <laughs> what, what have you enjoyed watching of Wes in in the beginning of the season? What have you learned? What have, what kind of things have stood out from you just from watching him coach? How he inter interacts with the players, um, things things of that nature. Well, I'll preface this by saying I don't think there's any 
right way to do it, right? I mean, there's there's different there's different styles for different coaches. Wes's is, is different, but he does seem he does seem to be able to connect with this group of guys. Uh, I think for the most part they've played their asses off for him. I, I think for for the most part they've played very well together. I, I love the the body language of the team on the bench. Uh, I love watching the body language of the guys as they interact with each other. And Wes is a part of that. Um, it, it's, it's been weird during some pretty tense moments to see him like joking with guys, but you know, I, 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 I don't, I don't know that he's going to handle every single team like that, but clearly, you know, the job of a coach is to have a feel for, the best way to handle individual players and the best way to handle groups of guys collectively. And I, I, it feels to me like Wes has a pretty good sense of that. Um, You know, I've, I've, I've seen him in huddles, lose his mind. I've seen him, you know, lose his mind at, at, at officials, but you, you get the sense and, you know, Chad, I've talked with you about this because you've been to practice. You, you get the sense that, uh, whatever criticisms he is aiming at a guy, at a player, there is nothing personal behind it. There's no animus. There's, I, I'm sure he gets annoyed with some of these guys. I'm, I'm sure he has gripes with how well or hard some of these guys play. But you, you just, you don't get the, you don't get the sense that uh, when he's pissed, that is pissed at the person. Um. Which is, you know, I mean, that that's not to say that anybody before him was, but I think that's abundantly clear with with Wes Miller. And for the most part, and th- there have been there have been exceptions. I, I didn't like much of how they played against Monmouth. I didn't like much of how they played against Miami. Um, in spite of their massive offensive deficiencies, they've looked pretty cohesive. Uh, they look like they understand the schemes they're being asked to play in. Uh, they've responded to... You know, he's played so many guys. There, there's there's a lot of dudes who don't get an overabundance of minutes. There's a part of me that wishes some of those guys would get pissed at that, especially in the front court. But I've I've liked most of I've liked most of of what I've of what I've seen. What is your kind of expectation for the group moving forward with this year? I know they played really well in Kansas City, and I think that got some people's attention and maybe heightened expectations. And they kind of, right after that, kind of slipped a bit. So I don't know if that readjusted the readjusted expectations. But what are you kind of just looking for as a whole um, as we get, you know, what, in a week, in about two or three weeks, conference playoffs start? So, you know, moving forward. Um, I, I, I want to see. I'm if not this, looking forward to Houston. I'm not looking forward to Houston at all. I am looking forward to seeing how this group of guys reacts to Houston on the road, especially again in in the front court. I'm interested in finding out if by the end of the season Jeremiah Davenport is indeed their best player. That sounds like a knock on JD and it's not. I think JD is a good player and potentially as he was in the preseason an all league guy. But I, I just, I think your ceiling is perhaps lower with Jared, with uh, JD as your best player than it would be if, if somebody else on the team emerged as that guy, I want to see if a front court player emerges as somebody who you kind of go, okay, among our bigs, th- this is the guy that we're not taking off the floor. And I think most of us would, 
are really interested in seeing if, if Victor Locke can become, can become that guy because, you know, you, on the list of pleasant surprises, um, he's probably at the top and he looks so well coached, but he's got to continue to learn how to play, you know, college basketball. And and that's a pretty obvious statement, but, but, but if he can do that and add to what he's already done, then we're talking about a guy who could be a, a pretty formidable presence. I, I wonder how much the rotation is going to shrink. Uh, because you see it often in this sport, man, in November, early December, you know, coaches are playing like 10 guys and, you know, then we, you know, we get to, to late January, they're playing seven, maybe eight. So does that happen uh, with this team? And, you know, they, they haven't gone and the, the atmosphere of Millette Hall was better than I think anybody ever expected. That was, that was a fun the game itself. Wasn't great, but, but the, that was fun. But like, what happens on Saturday when they have 10,000 people screaming at them and they're getting, you know, they're, they're facing an eight Oh run by a team that has Supreme talent. And it feels like the walls are caving in. How does this team respond? Who can get a bucket? Who, who can make a play? Who's willing to kind of stand up to the opposition that, I mean, that to me is the interesting thing about Saturday because we're expecting Xavier to win. We're expecting the atmosphere to be insane we're expecting Xavier to impose its will and okay, well, what happens if, you know, the first four or five minutes XU just punches them. Does this team just go, okay. Or does, does somebody step up and go, man, screw this. Um, Because while there's not a ton of intimidating venues in the American athletic conference, there certainly are teams that from a talent standpoint are superior. How do they respond when they get sort of beaten around by uh, a, a team that is superior? And 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 they're thrust in atmospheres that are uh, maybe not like what they get on Saturday, but are still pretty imposing. Chad, do you have any uh, other hoops questions? No, I think that pretty much covers it. I, I, I the thing for me is, can they figure out a way to not get pummeled at the guard and wing spots on the glass? Because mm-hmm. that's really where this is happening. Like. That Arkansas game, and, and this is how college sports work, that Arkansas game put it on tape that if you attack the offensive glass at the one, the two, and the three, you can you can force this team into issues, especially if you have good length at, at, at the two and the three. And what's the counter to that? Because I, I other than like I, I don't know what the counter to that is, Mo, because you're Cincinnati is a team that's trying to get out and run. So they're not as aggressively sending the numbers to the glass defensively that their opponents are now. Do you go all in on trying to figure out a way to defensive rebound? Or do you go all in on when we get the defensive rebound, we're going to make them pay in transition and not get their defense set. Um so even if they they get a bucket, we're going to get one back. Like, do you do you play tit for tat, or do you say we've got to find a way to batten down the hatches and be better on the defensive glass? It, it just feels to me like their best bet is to just ugly it up, right? I mean, I, I you know it just this this is a, a Xavier team that has been shooting the ball from outside better than I think most expected. They had another good night tonight, close to fifty percent. Um, I just it it feels to me like if you're going to go tit for tat, you're inviting disaster because this Xavier team is really good offensively. They can be really good offensively, and and I think we thought that was going to be the case and thought they would be an okay three point shooting team. Um, 
with with the way Nate Johnson has shot it and and with the way they've had success shooting the ball from three, if if you're gonna if you're gonna go bucket for bucket, I, I just think that's a losing proposition. I, I just I feel like they have to to make the game as gnarly and as ugly as possible. And that to me suggests you just gotta go all in on the glass and you can't give up second opportunities and and just make it as 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 ugly as as possible. That that seems to me to be their their only hope. This is a offensively, this is a, a team with a limited ceiling it's a team that doesn't have a lot of guys who are just gonna you know there's there's nobody right now that you can go and go well you know what that guy's going to be good for 18 to 20 or that guy's going to be able to stop an 8-0 Xavier run by going and getting a bucket I, I think you have to make this as just janky uh as possible and you know who knows what that does to the environment I think if you get into a game that's more up and down I, I think if you're a UC fan you're 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 expecting disaster. But by the way, I do think, I do think you can turn Xavier over. I mean, I, I, you know, as, as good as, as, as well as they're shooting it, I, I do think, you know, we saw it late in the game against Oklahoma state. They should have put Oklahoma state away and they kind of let them back in a little bit because of turnovers. Um, I, I think you can, you know, if, if, if there's a way to kind of turn them over and then you can create some buckets off that, that's one thing, but I, I think you have to commit to rebounding the ball against this team. I could not agree more. <laughs> One word to describe Brian Kelly's basketball inter- introduction uh, comments at uh, LSU. Sad. Because this is a guy <laughs> – it was sad to me because you, you felt the need to be so inauthentic. And, and why? Like, Why? Was it just like an accident from talking to people all day that it just became something? <laughs> like I, I it's no. just it's so like it's so bad and so out of nowhere that I'm like, did he just like did did their boudin and everything else just kind of seep into his pores from talking to them all day or like what the hell was that? I don't know. I, I, I felt in in a weird way. I felt sorry for him because I feel bad who feel like they can't be themselves. And what I saw, what night was that? Was that Wednesday? Last one. Well, I, I've lost track. Was, yeah. Whenever, whenever night that was, I remember just watching that going, a boy, he sounds different. B what reason does he have to decide to not be authentic? I know there's, there's, there's an element of phoniness to Brian Kelly that, okay, we've, we've we've established and looked behind and looked past and then then has never even really bothered me but why and then i felt really bad for the lsu beat writers who at some point are going to have to ask him about it right like the, the next availability he has for signing day or announcing <laughs> staff hires or whatever spring ball i i hope he plays it out like when they have yes. the signing day press conference we're happy right. to welcome all these new commits and signees to our family. Now, now, if if he's like, you know what, this is this is my new persona. I'm never going to address it. I'm just going to lean into it, and this is my accent moving forward. Great. I mean that that to me would be the absolute best. But by you, Brian, I would just lean yeah. into it. Right. But yeah, I I just Go I thought Tigers. it was kind of I like I laughed at it and I'm amused by it. But I but I I just thought it was pathetic. It's like, why do you even have to do that? Right. Like there's no, who are you trying to win over that you haven't already won over by being an already successful coach who's now the head coach at, L- at LSU? 
Like, who are you trying to win on your side to get on your side? That, I guess that would encapsulate my thoughts. I have one more question. We can yeah. let, let Mo out of here unless Chad has something else. Go ahead. Uh, breaking news earlier today. Mine and yours, apparently, number one celebrity crush will be making her way <laughs> to Cincinnati, Ohio on Sunday. I'm scrambling to think about how I'm going to you know, maybe get a ticket for the game. Yeah. Go to the Holy Grail if that happens. What excitement level that Kay Adams will be of the NFL network will be making her way to the Bengals game as the ruler of the jungle. Well, first of all, great for the Bengals for getting her, uh, good for them. Um, huge K Adams fan. I love good morning football. I like, I, I like, I like shows about football where I'm not getting yelled at and I'm not getting lectured to. And I feel like in that sport in particular, there's a little bit too much of that. I, I want to be informed. I want to be. I want something that's informative. I want some. I'm, I'm even okay with you teaching me something, but boy, it just there's a lot of football conversation where it's either two people yelling at each other, or yelling at me, the audience, or just talking down to me because they watch the tape. And it's like, can we just have some fun talking football? And that show does it. Plus, K. Adams. A, is, it really is a great show. Like, it is, and I'd be lying if I said I sit down every single morning and watch the whole thing. But like on while I'm, you know, kind of getting my kid ready for the day and what I'm doing. Yeah, I have it on almost every single morning, especially during the season. And it's, it, it's you know, they they can tackle some some you know hardcore football stuff and some serious topics. But at the end of the day, it's it's fun talking about football, which I enjoy. And uh, I think Kay's really good and. um probably my biggest celebrity crush like you, Dave. So she's coming to the game. Uh, she tweeted that she's coming to the game as the ruler of the jungle. I retweeted her. I quote tweeted her. And so we should come to the Holy grail where Tony and I are on the air from uh, noon to three on Sunday before the game. And she instantly retweeted it and said, sure. So Kay Adams wouldn't lie. Kay Adams no, oh, is no. a woman of her word. She would, she wouldn't say that she wouldn't, you know, she could have said like, oh, I'll check my schedule or I'll see, or no, she said, sure. That says she's coming. So, I expect to see Kay Adams Sunday at the Holy Grail. I just like that she's like unapologetically taken on the Bengals. It's like, yeah, I'm a fan. Yeah. Where you Great. don't you don't see that from anybody in like the national media. They'll never let you know who the who they actually, you know, might act might root for. Sign me up for it. I'm in. I, I, I do need to know how how much more complete is your work life balance now, knowing that you can take a day off. And there's a pretty good chance your show's not going to get canceled. <laughs> I'm not saying it's going to be good. No. There's a pretty uh, good chance it's not going to be canceled. <laughs> here's what you look for. Okay. And it, all right. Now, I don't determine who fills in, but there's two types of, from my standpoint, there's two types of fill ins. There's the fill in who, when they fill in, your phone doesn't vibrate with your friends going, dude, when are you coming back? Or who the hell is this guy? Or don't take any more days off. There's that fill-in, and then there's the fill-in who's on, and you kind of forget that there's a show without you on it. And that's what you are. Like, I don't I, – I there have been fill-ins in the past where it's like, I like, dude, I didn't, I don't, I didn't pick them. I, I don't know. I, I, I'm out of town <laughs> like immediately own. When you're on, my phone doesn't vibrate. That is the biggest compliment that I could pay. Because Thanks. there have there have been times where I've like dreaded like, I mean I just, like I'll, I'll feel my phone sort of going crazy, and it's like you know three twenty, 
And it's like, yep, I, I, well, I guess I'm on, the show's on right now. Okay. Uh, uh, yeah. So, yes, <laughs> I drastically appreciate the fact that when you're on, my off day doesn't get ruined inside. I mean, there, there have literally been times where I'm like, all right, I guess I'll have to go on the app and see what's going on. And it's like, yeah, okay, well, yeah, sorry. I, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll tell I'm, my boss. I'm that never happens when you're on. Yeah, that yeah. never happens when you're there, which is great. Well, I appreciate that. Those are very kind words. I just wanted to get a, a dig in at myself, and you were far too kind. I do what I can. <laughs> All right, that's Mo Egger. Thanks, Mo. We appreciate you coming on. All right, guys. And, my uh, wife just texted me and said, "When are you done?" Which, which, by, by the way, not the first time she's asked me that question. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to stay longer through, through oh. text, <laughs> when is that? Actually, I cleaned up the when are you done? So we'll uh, see what's happening upstairs. Thank you, sir. Thanks, Much appreciated. All right, guys. Anytime. Thanks for having me. That's Mo Egger, Cincinnati's ESPN 1533 6. And uh, every once in a while, he takes a day off and I get to work. It was very kind of him. He didn't have to, to be that kind. To take a day off or to join us? No, to say the nice <laughs> things he said about oh. To join us as well because. We got a long time before New Year's Eve, man. Well, he, he, I, te- I, you know, reached out the other day and almost instantly he was like, absolutely. So, yeah, this was, this was, this was Dave. I like Dave didn't even consult. It's Mo. So, of course, I'm going to say, you know, Dave just sent me a text on like Monday that's like, or Sunday or Monday. I don't remember. Mo's on Wednesday. All right. Perfect. Let's do it. Yes, and, and we think we have uh, our setup for next week. Is that right? Yeah, I'm I'm trying to figure out the best way to do it because if we do the number that they talked about, we're not going to be able to do it on StreamYard because there's right. a limited number of people you can have at a time. Um, I'm going to try to work something out with them to see if we can maybe have like a a rotating group, like one group this time to this time, and then yeah. the next group comes in. At the next time, but we're working with the letter Cincinnati Letterman's Club, Cincinnati Football Letterman's Club, and we're going to do a roundtable uh, with former players next week. So uh, I prefer to do it on Streamyard because I like like Aaron's yeah, killing the good. game, dude. This is what do you good. think? Oh yeah, get, we get stats to pop up. We get we get like visual aid, visual representation here. We look on the, semi-professional. Uh, we look semi-professional. We had a we had the number eleven afternoon drive, mid-market afternoon drive host in the country as a guest. So you know we're uh, we're we're doing big things here at Bearcat Journal. I've got I've got a whole new setup on order. Did you Did you have any luck with our possible guest? I have for... a num- I have a number. Oh, well, buddy, I have a number. Tough part is that's going to be Christmas week. Oh yeah, it is. So we might have to, but it's to, still like only the tw- it's only like the twenty first or twenty second, right? So oh. we'll figure something out. Twenty second, depending on when, hopefully, you know, basketball and stuff like that. But right, um, I did. I I didn't necessarily forget, but um, to ask Mo this, but I figured you and I can have this conversation. Okay. Your thoughts on Kirk Herbstreet just getting vaporized 
for his just asinine comment about conspiracy theories being dead and it being quiet now because UC is in the playoff. Like, how he just, got what he deserved. But how just – I don't know. I mean, I don't even know what the tone word deaf. is. Like, How can that guy be that tone deaf? It's just un, it's unbelievable that that's what you take away from UC making the playoff is that like now all of a sudden it's going to be a free-for-all of, of G5 teams lining up to make the playoff every year. Like I, I guarantee you I will put whatever amount of money on it that from this year to whenever the playoff expands, no there other G5 another, team right. will make the playoff. Look, what did this take? This took a team to 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 get the benefit of a pandemic, Dave. Yeah. To be able to get this number of guys who just narrowly missed out on a massive bowl win last year, like think even, if they even, beat even Georgia. That. It took last year to even start. Yeah, all so of like, last year. So look at the G5 teams this year. Which one of them are set up to do that, to, to run this year into next year? No. None. It took all of those guys losing that game and deciding to run it back. Dave, if they beat Georgia. Or if they lose by 30. Yeah, or, the, or if they lose by 30. Like... This team looks drastically different. You've got fifth-year guys, six-year guys, four-year starters, but you know, guys that have played five, like, impacted the program for five and six years. All of that had to go right in the offseason, right? Yeah. They had to make it through this season undefeated. They had to make it through this season basically like injury free so yep. that nothing crazy happened they did that and then they needed everybody but the SEC and Big 10 to put team like the ACC was out the Big 12 was out Pac-12, the Pac-12 was out yeah a second Big 10 team was out Notre Dame couldn't well, they get needed, in they needed the schedule Somebody other than two Cincinnati. That, two, what I'm saying, you seem yeah. to schedule two teams that they hoped would be good X number of years down the line and then them actually be good at the same time. Well, Indiana ended up not being good. but No, yes. but, but that didn't Point hurt taken. them. But, you right. know, they needed to be able to schedule someone, them actually be good, beat them, but then them not lose any more games. Yeah. So not be good, but not good enough to you know jump back over them. And, and it, all of those things had to come together. And they still, in my mind, finished fourth. Needed well, finished fourth, and, and still needed, needed a, yeah dude from Oklahoma State to come up like two inches short of the pilot. And then for him to come out and say that is like, while he's the mouthpiece of. The sport, the whole the sport. ESPN and the playoff are intertwined. Like they're, they're this not the same thing, but like they don't, they're not working in cahoots, but they're like 
they they have stuff to do with each other. They're not they're not independent of of each other. Right. I, it was ridiculous. I mean, it was such a such a tone deaf. And thankfully, like Twitter can be good for that sometimes. When somebody says the dumbest shit possible, and everybody's like, "Hey, that was some dumb shit." That was really stupid. So I, you know, I'm glad he got ratioed. Uh, Joe wants to know the bus trip. No, it, I I put it on the message board and said how many are coming, and I think three people responded. <laughs> so I am. It, it was going to cost between ten and twelve thousand dollars out of my pocket to book the bus. You're much nicer than me. And uh, <laughs> I was only going to do that if I was for certain that we were going to get fifty members. Maybe I could have brought some sponsors in if we got like 30 or 40. But with three, uh, it didn't seem, it seemed like probably a more uh, fiscally responsible thing to do is to just drive. <laughs> so that's, that's what I'm doing. We're hitting Memphis the night of the 29th and then on to Dallas on the 30th. I, I would love to do that, but I'm in for, well, we're, we're going to leave on the 29th, but it's probably, it's probably going to be in uh, an all night deal. Yeah, like I'm in for Mo. Uh, I'm in for Mo yeah. on the 29th. Uh, so. I do want to say, um, after going to fan council last night, we have had a huge number of people request uh, tickets to Dallas but only about half of those requested tickets to the national championship game. And everybody just needs to know that if that happens, those tickets do not go back to UC to then sell you. You have to request them now. And if you've already made your request for uh, the cotton bowl through like your season ticket portal, cause there's a season ticket portal and a general public portal. If you've already made the request for Dallas through the season ticket portal, but did not request national championship tickets, you now have to go into the general public portal and request them that way. So it's not like if they were to upset Alabama that UC is going to have a bunch of tickets to sell you for the national championship. Those go back to the national championship, whatever is not requested. Important that, information. You should that, put that on Twitter. And that deadline is Friday. You should put that on the Twitterers. I will do my best. Okay. I mean, I don't, I don't have a ton, a ton else. I, I think, I think we we allowed Mo to carry the show today. Uh, signing day next Wednesday. Yes. Will we get any surprises? Please tell me there'll be a surprise. I'm tired of boring signing days. Uh. I won't rule out a surprise, but there are still some things that are possible that I don't know the timeline on. Okay. So it would be a matter of would any of those things that are still possible play out uh, through all the way to signing. If I gave you an over under of two and a half guys that are not currently committed to UC would you take the over or the under for next Wednesday? Uh, 
Probably the under. Probably the under. Probably. <laughs> I'm not going to say definitively, but probably. I, I think I think two is the number. I think they can get two more. And a third is possible. But there's some moving parts in that decision on the third. I was, I'm, I was sad to see that uh, DeColdest is apparently visiting Texas this weekend. Not great. <laughs> not if maybe there's still there's still time. We're not to. Well, yeah, he could wait to Friday to, yet. He could wait. Well, he could also wait to sign until February. Yeah, he could. That's not out there's of the question. There's the uh, the commits, the rank. Do you ever think you'd see going a week from signing day they'd be in the top thirty, Dave? Well, what did I say? D- didn't I make some stupid guarantee that they would? finish in the top 30 like in during the summer when they went on their like big run of commits i think yeah and then it then it looked like it wasn't going to happen because they didn't get some of the higher the higher targeted uh recruits but and then they yeah, circled around and found other higher there's still leaders. there's still a lot of volatility that can happen um yeah yeah you just don't we don't keep track of other schools, so we have no idea if someone's about to add, you know, 10 commits or something. And you have no idea if somebody that's above Cincinnati is about to lose half of their signing class. Right. So, you know, uh, Joe, wants, Joe wants to know if we think Luther Richardson could challenge for a starting spot day one. Um, no. I do not think so. I think it would have been interesting if he was going to early enroll and go through spring football and and see where that put him heading into the summer. But that's not happening. He's going to continue training down in Nashville, and he'll be here in the summer. So, no, I, I don't think so. The real like the interesting question is like. We've had what now, Dave? Three years where we haven't really seen like Sauce is the last freshman to really like force his way into. I mean, Mason Fletcher, obviously. I mean, and that was but, really only out of necessity because of right. the style of offense UCF ran. Right, and then they just couldn't keep him off the field from there. But um, that's what I'm saying, like anybody else, though he they wouldn't have needed to put him on right. the field. Right, he never would have gotten on the field to be where they can't take him off the field. It'll be interesting to see, like, if there's more of this class. That who's the freshman this year that have contributed? Mason Fletcher and and Byron Threats. I mean, have there been any on all the special teams? Not, not like we've seen. Other than Threats, I think Threats is the main one. Not really anything that we've seen like in years past. And some of that is just because so many of these these veteran guys are also like they made their way onto the field on special teams and they just never left. Well, they're your best players in college. Yeah. The, the higher end teams play a lot of their best players on special teams. So it'll be interesting to see if there's there's a a wave of freshmen in this class this this twenty twenty two class. That well, can I maybe 
make an impact. I think there'll earlier. just be more opportunity. Right. Yeah, that's exactly it. That's what I was getting at. Like, yeah. there just there hasn't been opportunity in two years for young guys really to push their way up the roster. And now that you have a bunch of like transition, there are guys in line to move up the roster, right? But they're not dedicated, like started 30 game veterans. So if somebody can come in and push them, somebody can come in and legit make a push. And I do think you're going to see a lot of them, not a lot, but you're going to see a few of them find their way on special teams onto the field. Oh yeah. Because we're, we're, I don't want to get too ahead of ourselves, but you're not hitting the reset button, but you're hitting like the, uh, you're, you're respawning prior to your last mission in video game terms. Uh, I mean, I don't, I don't know. I mean, there's still going to be talent on this team, but I would. Yeah, yeah, of course. I That's not what I'm saying. We're, I would say we're hitting the reset button next year. Uh, we'll see. Based on where that talent is leaving from. Agreed. It is going to be very difficult. That, Like the hardest thing I think is finding the guys that, that who are going to be the guys that command the locker room. Right. Because had Kobe and Dez. Yeah. For five years. Right. That's not easy to just re- automatically just replace. I don't know that I've ever seen a player do what oh, Kobe did. Just, in the oh, pull everybody yeah. together. Yeah. Like the entire defense. There, there wasn't a player that wasn't standing around Kobe. Yeah. Like after the second drive, when Houston went straight down the field twice, they get a field goal and a touchdown. And Kobe Bryant pulled all of them. Like, usually you sit in your position groups, your coach comes over if they're on the field, you go through some things, you're you're trying to straighten things out, figure what you got to do, all that stuff. And Kobe was having none of that. Like, all of you on me right now, let's talk. And outside of the officiating assisted touchdown in the second half, they scored three points from that point on Mm -hmm. three. That's the type of leadership that is developed, right? Like that's the type of respect over five years that Kobe Bryant has earned. Yeah. Like it's hard to, yeah, I don't, I don't want to say it's not possible, but like who, who commands that next year? If a moment like that comes up, right. And and just who 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 is on the roster next year that can can do that? I, I'm not saying there isn't going to be someone. It's just we don't know unknown, who it is. unknown right now. Yeah, Luke don't Luke is asking is. about the the chances of Josh Wiley, Leonard Taylor, Jerome Ford returning next year. I would say those conversations are probably going to be ongoing between now and. Uh, the Cotton Bowl, and yeah. it's just not something that we would have knowledge of on those three guys at this point. Best case, I would think you get one of the three back, one of the tight ends. If I had to guess which, I would probably guess Lenny, just because he would get a chance to come back and be like the feature 
tight end to, to help improve his positioning. I, I think Wiley and Ford are gone. Uh, there have been some rumblings about Ford. I, I, I don't see it, man. Go get your money. Yeah, I'm, I'm for as much as I'm a UC fan, I am always for these guys capitalizing as early and as quickly as they can. Yeah, I, the thing for tight end is this is we talked about it with uh, Jim Nagy. This is a very deep tight end draft. Yeah. So if both of them go, like the, the odds are one of them is fighting to get drafted. Yeah. I, mean, I, I think there's a good chance if Lenny comes back, he could greatly yeah, improve yeah. his stock, especially Pass my when, when you're probably <laughs> dealing with a quarterback that's going to need a safety valve more often, you know, more frequently than well, just, uh, remember, just uh, and but that again also could be a reason to leave is you're dealing yeah. with an offense that you don't know how it's going to be. And you know, there's always the injury possibility, there's a lack of production possibility. I mean, it's a it's a hard decision that these guys have have to weigh and I mean, they'll get as much info as they can, but it's still, it's, there's info. And then there's, once you're in the draft process info, like. Yeah. yeah. But also once you're in the draft process, you, you can't come out. No, no, no. There's no turning back. So if you're going to get that info, you better be damn sure. Mm-hmm. So, um, did you make the over? Oh, we talked about that on the after. Yeah, I can't even remember at this point. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I guess. Well, you're. Um, do you think? Have you had any conversations? Have you heard anything? Obviously, we they added the transfer kicker. We've talked a lot about an edge presence in the transfer portal, but that's you know that's kind of like offensive line. If you're good and you're transferring. Edge or offensive line, everybody's going to want you. Right. Uh, is there any other? Have you heard anything? Any rumblings on any other possibilities? Not players, not, but not positions? really at this point. I mean, yeah, they're obviously looking for an edge. I think they're always looking for a tackle. You know, I think you're gonna you're gonna have to look in the defensive secondary, um, just to see what you can you know see if there's somebody with a, some experience and some ability that, that you can look at, um, you know, if Ford goes, do you look at running back potentially some of it? I think, you know, will depend on, on how the signing class finishes out, how many spots they can use, where they can be aggressive. Um, so I, I still think a lot of that story is being written. We definitely have an abundance of interior guys on both lines. Yeah. Well, and the interesting thing is like if you're if you're Pat Lambert and 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 Max and and that crew, life's pretty good right now. I get the sense there's a whole lot of kids. You, you, you either, mean to tell either, me there's some kids that they might have been interested in before that are committed elsewhere that might now be showing some interest in the college football playoff bound number four team in the country, Cincinnati Bearcats? Or maybe some kids they've never talked to until like this week or like, like the coldest. 
Yeah, Dakotist. <laughs> like I'm guessing they weren't uh, they weren't heavily recruiting Dakotist before. Um, yeah. So it, it's going to be interesting to see like how how this final what one week plays out because signing day is a week from today. So yeah, let it, let it buckle up. You got Jackson Brown coming in this weekend. I think there might be one other. We'll see. It's it's not going to be uh, Jordan Allen. No. He's he's going to be becoming part of someone's family. Family. <laughs> yeah. But before we left, I wanted to get Aaron on, give him a, a big round of applause. Hey. Streamyard like two hours before the show. Pretty much. And you did a wonderful job, sir. I appreciate that. So this is like a, this is kind of going to be Aaron's new focus with us moving to StreamYard. Whether he's on the show, and I'm guessing when it's just me and Dave, you'll be on a lot more than when we have a guest. Um, but sure. then you're on the BBP, and you're on part of the punctuation, <clears throat> and we'll see if we're going to go this route with the uh, with the nightcaps. Um, I don't know if it makes sense going live for eight minutes, <laughs> but we, we could still record through stream. Yeah, though, we, to yeah, we can mess still around, record, with, stuff. Mess around yeah. with all the stuff. So, uh, Aaron's Aaron's new main responsibility is going to be the official BCJ network uh, producer, except for PTP, because then you're not the producer. Yeah, I'm, I'm steering the boat on that one. So, so right. who, who all from the crew uh, will be will be at the Cotton Bowl? I'll be there. I'll be there. Brent will be there. Brian will be there. We're rolling four deep. Oh, buddy. I just I ordered you guys some uh, Christmas I presents. Count. Hey. I don't, I don't count. Well, I'm, not you're not credentialed. You're not, not? going to get the – because you haven't asked to be. Can I can I drink beer? No. <laughs> no. I can't go that's... back. And, I, I can't go back and forth. Dave. <laughs> I mean, I do kind of want to be on. Where? What access do you get with the credentials? Depends on what credential you get for this type of a game. Uh, my guess is I will have field access and then access to the photographers uh work slash hospitality area aaron and brent will have press box access well i'd like field access please I, i've already got two of those and i don't think that that's gonna happen <laughs> <laughs> so i can just jump the fence of the little hospitality yeah. suites that are on the field level just get a beer drink it real quick jump right back out <laughs> good luck I'm not having anybody on my like. I'm I'm, a, I'm afraid if they kick one of us out, then all of us are probably going to have to go. Yeah, think you're better. Yeah. Think you're better in the in the stands. I know. I am. I, believe me. I, I want this is this is a long-standing relationship. We know Dave does not work at football games. Nor would we expect him to. It would mess things up. I mean, yeah, we've got a we've got a good. The thing whole going. karma would be off if you were working. Yeah. So. Are, are you well, all go? Are you all traveling together? Are you getting like a BCJ uh, conversion van? No, 
my mom and her my mom and her boyfriend are driving down i'm hopping along with them and uh they'll be at the game and i'll be up in the press box i'm driving down with my pops i hope they have some good like uh media food for you guys i would expect high quality media food it's serious everything we've heard about the cotton bowl oh yeah like everyone says that is the king of the mountain on bowl games like mm-hmm. if you're gonna if you're gonna bowl game you're gonna cotton bowl so i'm pretty excited about the media food i'm looking forward to it i'm excited to get down there just you and <laughs> Oh, that's right. You, Rachel, and and the little one are going. Yeah. And then the little one is staying with your friends while you and Rachel go to the game, which that's is right. phenomenal. Yeah. <laughs> it's phenomenal. All right. Well, I think that's going to wrap it up. We're going to going to do something out of the ordinary here, and uh, take a day off. We'll still have content, cookies, good stuff cookies. for tomorrow. Cookies. Oh my gosh. Yeah, there'll be treats. If look at the our diehards that stayed on for almost two hours, yeah. You know. That's why you were. That's why you say that stuff at the end. I know. That's why you say that stuff at the end. Um, but thanks everybody legacy, for joining in. Legacy cookies. Thanks everybody for joining in with us live for our first time. We'll see how long it takes me to to figure out the process of getting the audio up. I, I'm guessing that might not be as uh, smooth a process as it has been in the past, but uh, <laughs> we will uh, we'll get it figured out. But uh, and and to everybody that that watches now, because these are now going to be on YouTube immediately after the show. So when we get done, you'll have instant access to watch the video uh, of everything going forward. So thanks to everybody for tuning in. Hopefully Don't forget this- to. Like, subscribe, all that stuff on on the YouTube. Like, subscribe, unsubscribe, like, unsubscribe, resubscribe. It's good for the (laughs) it's good for the uh, algorithm. That's what you got to do. All right, that's gonna wrap it up. Thank you to producer extraordinaire in training, Aaron Smith. I thought you had like one of those like rookie debuts where you had like two doubles and a home run. I'm good with that. I'm proud of that's, that's a heck of a rookie debut. Right. Like first first time in the bigs, gets a couple knocks, hits a dinger. Feeling pretty damn good about himself. Usually those guys you never hear from again after like their fourth game. So eight total bases is a pretty good game for anyone. <laughs> All right. We'll see you next time. I'm Chad Brendel. He's Dave Simone and Aaron Smith. This is the Holy Grail BCJ podcast right here on BearcatJournal.com.